Chapter Six of the Maid of Skur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Maid of Skur by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Six. Finds a home of some sort. However. It was high time now, if we had any hope at all of getting into Skur House that night, to be up and moving. For though Evan Thomas might be late, Moxy his wife would be early, and the door would open to none but the master after the boys were gone to bed. For the house is very lonely, and people no longer innocent as they used to be in that neighbourhood. I found the child quite warm and nice, though overwhelmed with weight of sleep and setting her crosswise on my shoulders, whence she slid down into my bosom, over the rocks I picked my way, by the light of the full clear moon, towards the old Skur Grange, which stands a little back from the ridge of beach, and on the edge of the sand-hills. This always was, and always must be, a very sad and lonesome place, close to a desolate waste of sand, and the continual roaring of the sea upon black rocks. A great grey house, with many chimneys, many gables, and many windows, yet not a neighbour to look out on, not a tree to feed its chimneys, scarce a firelight in its gables in the very depth of winter. Of course, it is said to be haunted, and though I believe not altogether in any stories of that kind, despite some very strange things indeed which I have beheld at sea, at any rate I would rather not hear any yarns on that matter just before bedtime in that house, and most people would agree with me, unless I am much mistaken. For the whole neighbourhood, if so you may call it, where there are no neighbours, is a very queer one, stormy, wild, and desolate, with little more than rocks and sand and sea, to make one's choice among. As to the sea, not only dull and void it is of any haven, or of proper traffic, but as dangerous as need be, even in good weather, being full of draughts and currents, with a tide like a mill-race, suffering also the ups and downs, which must be where the Atlantic Ocean jostles with blind narrowings. It offers, moreover, a special peril, a treacherous and a shifty one, in the shape of some horrible quicksands, known as the Skur Weathers. These at the will of storm and current change about from place to place, but are, for the most part, some two miles from shore, and from two to four miles long, according to circumstances, sometimes almost bare at half-tide, and sometimes covered at low water. If any ship falls into them, the bravest skipper that ever stood upon a quarter-deck can do no more than pipe to prayers, though one or two craft have escaped when the tide was rising rapidly. As for the shore, it is no better, when once you get beyond the rocks, than a stretch of sand-hills, with a breadth of flaggy marsh behind them all the way to the mouth of Neath River, some three leagues to the westward. Eastward, the scene is fairer inland, but the coast itself more rugged and steep, and scarcely more inhabited, 
having no house nearer than Richin's, which is only a small farm, nearly two miles from Skirgrange, and a mile from any other house. And if you strike inland from Skir, that is to say, to the northward, there is nothing to see but sand, warren, and firs, and great fields marked with rubble, even as far as Kenvig. Looking at that vast lonely house, there were two things I never could make out. The first was, who could ever have been mad enough to build it there? For it must have cost a mint of money, being all of quarried and carried stone, and with no rich farm to require it. And the second thing was still worse a puzzle. How could any one ever live there? As to the first point, the story is that the house was built by abbots of Neath when owners of Skir Manor, adding to it very likely as they followed one another, and then it was used as their manor court, and for purposes more important, as a place of reflection, being near good fisheries, and especially Kenvig Pool, stocked with all freshwater fish and every kind of wild fowl. But upon the other question all I can say is this, I have knocked about the world a good bit, and have suffered many trials, by the which I am no doubt chastened and highly rectified. Nevertheless, I would rather end my life among the tombstones, if only allowed three farthings worth of tobacco every day, than live with all those abbot's luxuries in that old grey house. However, there were no abbots now, nor any sort of luxury, only a rough, unpleasant farmer, a kind but slovenly wife of his, and five great lads, notorious for pleasing no one except themselves, also a boy of a different order, as you soon shall see. Thinking of all this, I looked with tenderness at the little deer, fallen back so fast asleep, innocent and trustful, with her head upon my shoulder and her breathing in my beard. Turning away at view of the house, I brought the moonlight on her face, and this appeared so pure and calm, and fit for better company, that a pain went to my heart, as in Welsh we speak of it. Because she was so fast asleep, and that alone is something holy in a very little child, so much it seems to be the shadow of the death itself, in their pausing, fluttering lives, in their want of wit for dreaming, and their fitness for a world of which they must know more than this, also to a man who feels the loss of much believing, and what grievous gain it is to make doubt of everything, such a simple trust in him, than whom we find no better father, such a confidence of safety at the very outset, seems a happy art unknown, and tempts him back to ignorance. Well aware what years must bring, from all the ill they have brought to us, we cannot watch this simple sort, without a sadness on our side, a pity, and a longing, as for something lost and gone. In the scoop between two sandhills, such a power of moonlight fell upon the face of this baby, that it only wanted the accident of her lifting bright eyes to me to make me cast away all prudence, and even the dread of bunny. But a man at my time of life must really look to the main chance first, and scout all romantic visions. 
and another face means another mouth, however pretty it may be. Moreover, I had no wife now, nor woman to look after us, and what can even a man-child do without their apparatus? While on the other hand I knew that, however dreary Skir might be, there was one motherly heart inside it. Therefore it came to pass that soon the shadow of that dark house fell upon the little one in my arms, while with a rotten piece of timber, which was lying handy, I thumped and thumped at the old oak door. But nobody came to answer me, nobody even seemed to hear, though every knock went further and further into the emptiness of the place. But just as I had made up my mind to lift the latch and to walk in freely, as I would have done in most other houses, but stood upon scruple with Evan Thomas, I heard a slow step in the distance, and Moxie Thomas appeared at last, a kindly-hearted and pleasant woman, but apt to be low-spirited, as was natural for Evan's wife, and not very much of a manager. And yet it seems hard to blame her there, when I come to think of it, for most of the women are but so, round about our neighbourhood, sanding up of room and passage, and forming patterns on the floor every other Saturday, and yet the roof all frayed with cobwebs, and the corners such as, in the navy, we should have been rope-ended for. By means of nature, Moxie was shaped for a thoroughly good and lively woman, and such no doubt she would have been, if she had had the luck to marry me, as at one time was our signification. God, however, ordered things in a different manner, and no doubt he was considering what might be most for my benefit. Nevertheless, in the ancient days, when I was a fine young tar on leave, and all Sunday schools set caps at me, perhaps I was two and twenty then, the only girl I would allow to sit on the crossing of my legs, upon a well-dusted tombstone, and suck the things I carried for them, all being fond of peppermint, was this little boxy straddling, of good Newton family, and twelve years old at that time. She made me swear on the blade of my knife, never to have any one but her, and really I looked forward to it as almost beyond a joke, and her father had some money. "'Who's there at this time of night?' cried Moxie Thomas sharply, and in Welsh, of course, though she had some English. "'Pull the latch, if you be honest. Evan Black is in the house.' By the tone of her voice I knew that this last was a fib of fright, and glad I was to know it so. Much the better chance was left me of disposing Bardy somewhere where she might be comfortable. Soon as Mrs. Thomas saw us by the light of a homemade dip, she scarcely stopped to stare before she wanted the child out of my arms, and was ready to devour it, guessing that it came from sea, and talking all the while, full gallop, as women find the way to do. I was expecting fifty questions, and no doubt she asked them, yet seemed to answer them all herself, and be vexed with me for talking, yet to want me to go on. "'Moxie, now, be quick,' I said. "'This little thing from out the sea. "'Quick, is it? Quick, indeed? "'Much quick you are, old Dio,' she replied in English. "'The darling dear, the pretty love!' "'For the child had spread its hands to her, "'being taken with a woman's dress. "'Give her to me, clumsy Davy. "'Is that the way you do carry her?' 
Oh, Davy, tarry me nigh nicely, I tell her. Oh, Davy, good and kind, and I won't have him called clumsy. So spake up my two-year-old, astonishing me, as she always has done, by her wonderful cleverness, and surprising Moxy Thomas, that such clear good words should come from so small a creature. My goodness me, you little vixen, wherever did you come from? Bring her in yourself, then, Dio, if she thinks so much of you. Let me feel her. Not wet, is she? Wherever did you get her? Put her on this little stool, and let her warm them mites of feet till I go for bread and butter. Although the weather was so hot, a fire of coal and driftwood was burning in the great chimney-piece for cooking of Black Evan's supper, because he was an outrageous man to eat whenever he was drunk, which, as a doctor told me once, shows the finest of all constitutions. But truly, there was nothing else of life or cheer or comfort in the great sad stony room. A floor of stone, six gloomy doorways, and a black-beamed ceiling. No wonder that my little darling cowered back into my arms and put both hands before her eyes. No, 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 she said. Bardie doesn't like it. When Mamma come, she'd be very angry with a old Davy. I felt myself bound to do exactly as Mrs. Thomas ordered me, and so I carried Miss Finneacle to the three-legged stool of firwood which had been pointed out to me and having a crick in my back for a moment after bearing her so far, down I set her upon her own legs, which, though so neat and pretty, were uncommonly steadfast. To my astonishment, off she started, before I could fetch myself to think, over the rough stone flags of the hall, trotting on her toes entirely, for the very life of her. Before I could guess what she was up to, she had pounced upon an old kitchen towel, newly washed, but full of splinters, hanging on a three-legged horse, and back she ran in triumph with it, for none could say that she toddled, and with a want of breath, and yet a vigour that made up for it, began to rub with all her power, as well as a highly skilful turn, the top of that blessed three-legged stool, and some way down the sides of it. "'What's the matter, my dear?' I asked, almost losing my mind at this, after all her other wonders. "'Dirt,' she replied. "'Degustin' dirt!' Never stopping to look up at me. "'What odds for a little dirt when a little soul is hungry?' "'Bardy, a boofly keen gal, and this too disgusting cochon!' was all the reply she vouchsafed me. But I saw that she thought less of me. However, I was glad enough that Moxie did not hear her, for Mrs. Thomas had no unreasonable ill-will towards dirt, but rather liked it in its place, and with her its place was everywhere. But I, being used to see every cranny searched and scoured with holy stone, blessed, moreover, when ashore, with a wife like Amphitrite, who used to come aboard of us, could thoroughly enter into the cleanliness of this body, and thought more of her accordingly. While this little trot was working, in the purest ignorance of father and of mother, yet perhaps in her tiny mind hoping to have pleased them both, back came Mrs. Thomas, bringing all the best she had of comfort, 
and of cheer for us, though not much to speak of. I took a little Holland's hot, on purpose to oblige her, because she had no rum, and the little baby had some milk and rabbit gravy, being set up in a blanket, and made the most we could make of her, and she ate a truly beautiful supper, sitting gravely on the stool, and putting both hands to her mouth, in fear of losing anything. All the boys were gone to bed after a long day's rabbiting, and Evan Black still on the spree, so that I was very pleasant, knowing my boat to be quite safe, toward my ancient sweetheart, and we got upon the old time so much, in a pleasing, innocent, teasing way, that but for fear of that vile black Evan, we might have forgotten poor Bardie. End of chapter 6